1: On my allotment, I have to contend with a root disease called club root. It infects cabbages, brussels sprouts, all members of the brassica family. And the organism that infects them is a funny little creature. It swims through the soil moisture and it gets to the roots and then infects them. And so it's much worse in warm, wet years. And most allotments will have this disease because those spores that it releases when those swollen, clubbed roots break up and rot in the autumn can last for up to 20 years. You can always tell an infected plant because it starts to look grey and wilty and not thriving. And then when you pull it up, you find those horrible clubs on the roots at the bottom. Club root is one of those diseases that is possible to work with and work around. There's no fungicide sold anymore to treat the plants or the soil. So what you do is you lime the soil. That's add ground limestone and raise the pH so you make the soil more alkaline. You also boost the drainage, so if it's a wet soil, you have raised beds that drain better. And if you want to learn more about plant diseases, you're in luck. Today, we'll be checking in on the health of our gardens, taking a look at the various diseases on the rise here in the UK and what we can do to stave off their encroachment. But that's not all. With the return of allergy season, we're also going to explore the many ways we can garden with not just the health of our plants in mind, but with that of our own bodies as well. So get ready for a multifaceted disease prevention deep dive. First up, pathologist Dr. Liz Beale will chat with us about the RHS annual disease rankings, delving into the effects the extreme weather patterns of the past year have had on the health of our plants.
2: Another thing we noticed is that things like powdery mildew were higher in the list for last year, which relates to the hot, dry conditions that we had.
1: We'll then change gears, pivoting to the health of gardeners. Dr Shuba Allard and Dr Patrick Young will take us through the allergies to watch out for this spring. So
3: the trees that cause hay fever typically would be the ones that are polluted by the wind. In the UK,
1: this includes birch trees, hazel trees, alder, poplar, ash before virologist and author Dr Tim Reggett closes out the show by building on Schubert and Patrick's advice and giving practical tips for creating our own low allergy gardens.
4: A lot of these contact dermatitis are photosensitive, so if it sun shines, that activates the chemicals. You're listening to
1: Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. Liz Beale's foray into the world of plant pathology began in childhood. As a young girl she'd scour her garden for macro-fungi, big mushroom-like toadstools, fascinated by the way they grew. As she got older and began studying microbiology, her obsession only evolved. Liz found she loved looking at bits of fungi under the microscope. It opened up a whole new world of potential when she could peer at aspects of fungal diseases invisible to the naked eye. Now Liz works as a senior plant pathologist at the RHS where she helps compile our annual disease rankings and that's exactly what she's here with us to discuss today.
2: So on a day-to-day basis It's really varied, so it can do a wide range of things. So, for example, the RHS members can send in samples from their plants or photographs of their plants and say, what's happened to my plant? Why is it dying? And then we've got to try and investigate and work out what's happening. So that's one part of my work. Another part of my work is the research. So from the questions that we get asked from our members... We can kind of pick out the things that are most important to gardeners. So at the moment we're looking at rose black spot and that's a big problem in gardens and trying to work out ways that we can help gardeners control it. There are fungicides available but we're trying to sort of encourage people to move away from fungicides. So looking at more natural methods of control is a key thing that we do as well. So today I wanted to talk to you about our top 10 disease ranking. This is something that comes out every spring and has been running since 1995. This is calculated from the number of disease inquiries that we get to the RHS Gardening Advice Service. And it just gives an indication of what's concerning gardeners each year and what we've had the most inquiries about. So out of the 11 diseases that were in the list, nine of these actually affect fruit trees. So one thought is that people are planting more fruit trees, they're more sort of concerned about their fruit trees, and also perhaps planting heritage fruit trees, which could be more susceptible to these diseases. Another thing we noticed is that things like powdery mildew were higher in the list for last year which relates to the hot, dry conditions that we had. Powdery mildew needs humid conditions, but it doesn't need leaf wetness to infect plants. So actually the conditions we saw last year were ideal for powdery mildew. So although we had number three was powdery mildew on cherry laurel and Portuguese laurel, powdery mildew overall was a lot higher last year than previous years. So this year the honey fungus was number one. And this has been number one since the list has first been compiled. And we think probably this is because it has a really wide host range. It creates really dramatic effects in the garden. So it's very noticeable on a tree or shrub. You can get complete dieback of the plant. Also, you need the right plant in the right place. So if any plants are particularly stressed or not growing happily, then honey fungus will come in and affect these plants and kill them. It spreads through the soil via something called rhizomorphs, which are bootlaces. So quite often they're already in the area and as soon as a plant sort of becomes stressed, they can attack quite quickly. So to look for this in your garden, if you spot any sort of trees or woody plants that are dying back, you can peel back the bark right at the base of the plant, just at the soil level. If you have a sharp knife, you can just peel back a small amount. And look for the creamy white mycelium that's under the bark and it'll smell really strong of mushrooms as well. And this is really characteristic of honey fungus. If you spot it, the best thing to do is to remove severely affected plants, which will help to reduce its spread in your garden and also keep your plants growing healthily. So mulch around the base, keep them well watered if it's very dry Plant the right plant in the right place, so choose plants that are happy to grow in the area of your garden in the particular soil conditions or the sunny aspect or shady aspect, and this will help to protect them. One thing that was interesting on the list was silver leaf. So, this is a fungus that kind of infects mainly sort of prunus trees, so cherry and plum, but it also affects apple trees and other ornamental species. And this enters via sort of wounds in the tree. So particularly with cherry, plum and other prunus trees, you shouldn't prune apart from in the summer months because there's less of the fungus sort of around to infect. So I think it's interesting that it was quite high up in the list. It could be perhaps with the weather conditions that trees were sort of more stressed and they died back quicker than you'd normally notice it. So I think as we're seeing more extreme weather conditions, which, you know, caused by climate change, so when you have periods of drought or high temperature or heavy rainfall, this causes the plants to become very stressed, so they're less able to fight off problems. We will see more diseases as plants are more stressed. So one thing I think with the rose black spot, although the disease itself needs quite wet conditions, so it needs periods of leaf wetness and humidity, which we are still seeing. If the plants themselves are quite stressed, then as soon as you get the correct conditions for the disease, then the disease can affect quite rapidly and you see problems quite quickly. So things to keep your plants healthy and hopefully protect a bit against disease, definitely putting the plants in the right place, mulching. A great thing to do is encourage biodiversity in your gardens. I think if you have an allotment, it's good to rotate your crops. So don't keep growing the same crop on the same piece of land. Particularly with root diseases, if you continuously grow the same crop on the same piece of land, it allows the inoculum of the disease to build up to really high levels, and then you will get disease problems. Also, it's great to obviously share seeds with your sort of other allotment users, but just be vigilant against disease. So for example, with garlic, you might sort of share cloves around, but just be careful that you haven't got garlic rust. And the same with things like club roots for brassicas or cabbages. You don't want to kind of share plants with other people if you know that you've got a problem with club root in your soil because you're sort of moving it around. So, if you do have disease in the garden, there are ways that you can deal with them. Most diseases you can tolerate. The plants can still sort of live and continue growing, and you may have some losses, but obviously this gives you a chance to try something else, perhaps a different crop that you wanted to try, and perhaps try and find something that grows well in your conditions and is happy in the soil type that you have to sort of maximise its growth.
1: Thanks Liz. We've included the RHS's annual disease ranking in our show notes. I'm delighted to say that diseases, although they're something we have to live with to some extent, are not usually totally devastating and even plants that get infected can pull through and often deliver a good crop. Some of the things to avoid include overfeeding Overuse of high nitrogen fertilisers creates soft growth and that's susceptible to disease. So use low nitrogen fertilisers and ones rich in potassium. Potassium is known to harden plant growth and that will help it resist disease. The other thing is keep a very watchful eye on your garden. And as soon as you see the telltale signs of rots and mildew, pick the infected bits off and treat with a biostimulant. We use one at Wisley called SB Plant Invigorator that applied to powdery mildew collapses the spore structure on the leaf surface and gives reasonable control without the need to resort to fungicides. And as diseases become more severe and more common with the changing climate it's more important than ever to keep a vigilant eye on your garden and also at the end of the season remove and destroy any infected debris to reduce the carryover to the following year. But it's not just plant diseases that are on the rise. Allergies are surging as well. Recent research has shown that almost 50% of people in the UK report experiencing hay fever symptoms. Its reach is more than pervasive, it's downright inescapable. There are many theories that explain why hay fever and allergies in general are erupting. Everything from an increase in pollutants in our air and lack of allergen exposure to pregnant women's diets and our changing lifestyle habits, but more research still needs to be done. What we know for sure is that allergies, including those caused by plants, remain a problem to contend with, and a big one at that. So as our noses get itchy and eyes get red this April, we're delving into how we can minimise the impact our gardens have on our allergic reactions. So let's turn it over to Dr Schubert Allard and Dr Patrick Young for more.
5: I'm Dr Schubert Allard, I'm a consultant haematologist, I am the clinical director for publication and engagement at the Royal College of Pathologists and it's a real pleasure to be here today together with Dr Patrick Young who's a consultant immunologist and we're here to talk about allergies and plants and in particular trees what would be really helpful i think is just to get a sort of a brief overview of how plants can cause different types of allergies just so people know you know what sort of things one could encounter maybe
3: so one of the biggest things that people think about with plants and allergies is hay fever. Mm-hmm. Trees, grasses, moulds all release pollens or spores into the air. These can result in allergic symptoms. Hay fever is very common. A lot of people will have experienced this. In addition to that, plants can also cause food allergies. A lot of food allergies are due to plant materials, for example, nuts, vegetables and fruits. Uh, additionally, it's also possible to have contact reactions, which can result in sort of skin reactions when one touches certain plants. The biggest thing, if you like gardening or if you like the outdoors, in terms of allergies would be hay fever. Hay fever essentially is an allergy or reaction to pollen released by plants. And typically this would be due to plants that are wind pollinated. So the pollen is spread around the wind and it's all about in the air or the atmosphere. The tree pollen seasons typically in spring. The grass pollen seasons typically in summer. And late in the year, you would have weeds and potentially moulds as well. All these airborne pollens result in allergic reaction, usually affecting the airways, where the symptoms could include a runny nose, a blocked nose, sneezing, itching, watery eyes, red eyes. It can also make other respiratory illnesses worse, for example, asthma, that can be made worse by pollen as well. So the trees that cause hay fever typically would be the ones that are polluted by the wind. In the UK, this includes birch trees, hazel trees, alder, poplar, ash, But the other thing to bear in mind as well is that tree pollen is highly cross-reactive. It's very similar to each other, so that there is a lot of overlap between them.
5: And with cross-reactivity, it can be quite challenging to try and sort of not expose yourself to one particular type of tree. So in the practical setting, that can be really quite difficult, can't it?
3: Yes, that's entirely correct.
5: So can you give us some top tips on what can we do to reduce allergy?
3: So obviously the... Easiest way to reduce the amount of allergies somebody has is to avoid what is that's causing the allergy. However, that can be particularly tricky with something that's very widespread and common. For example, pollen, which is in the atmosphere in spring and summer and may not be entirely practical to do. It can also be quite life-limiting. For example, if you're a keen gardener or indeed gardening is your job, you can't really fully avoid pollen because you have to be outdoors. So obviously avoidance helps but may not be entirely practical or in, indeed possible. Other things that can help with, for example, hay fever symptoms, wearing sunglasses when you go out, having a shower or washing your hair when you get back in to remove any pollen that's collecting your clothing or your hair, avoiding the times the pollen count is highest, which is usually kind of early in the morning or late in the evening when the pollen's either rising or settling, due to changes in the temperature. Various over-the-counter remedies, so antihistamine tablets, nasal sprays and eye drops all help to some extent.
5: That's really helpful. Thank you. So we've talked about trees. Should we just sort of briefly mention grass and a very common activity, mowing the lawn? Any tips there?
3: So grass pollen allergy is probably the main or the biggest cause of hay fever in the UK. It's very similar to tree pollen. The treatments are the same as well. Avoidance obviously helps to an extent. What is sometimes asked is, does mowing the lawn make any difference? And the general advice is that keeping the grass short does seem to help reduced amount of pollen around. However, this may be a little bit limited because obviously you can only really control your own lawn and the act of mowing the lawn itself may introduce more pollen there at the time of mowing and make your allergies worse.
5: So Patrick, just moving on to other types of allergy and food allergy. Do you want to just say a few words about that?
3: Food allergies obviously cause more anxiety and generate more worry compared to hay fever. There is a link between hay fever and food allergies, a condition known as the pollen food syndrome, or some people call it the oral allergy syndrome. And this is a condition where people have a pollen allergy, but also react to fresh fruit or vegetables essentially due to a cross-reactivity between pollen and
5: various plant foods. And the reason for this is that the protein structure is very similar to the pollen in trees, grasses and weeds, and so you get cross-reactivity. And if you have symptoms that are suggestive of pollen food syndrome, it is really important that you do seek advice from a healthcare professional so you know what's going on, so that you can get appropriate advice.
3: I think there's one thing I would say about being careful about self-diagnosis. Absolutely.
5: Okay, Patrick, I think this has been really informative. I think people will be very interested to know about the type of allergies people can get and certainly as gardeners, we all want to be out there. We've talked about certain aspects that we can't control. We can't control, you know, the, the many trees around us, with the cross-reaction, etc., but I think increased awareness helps.
1: That was Schubert Allard and Patrick Young. If you'd like to learn more, Schubert and Patrick will be giving a talk that builds on this conversation at Wisley. On the 21st of April. See our show notes for details. We're encouraging people to leave more of their lawns to grow tall and unkempt and good for wildlife and full of wildflowers but where people suffer from allergies this might not be the best advice and alternatives include mowing the lawn more frequently but also perhaps improving the lawn to squeeze out the grasses that flower early like annual meadow grass. And you can do that at this time of year by raking in lawn grass seeds at about half the recommended rate and they'll fill in the gaps and squeeze out the annual meadow grass that's flowering so freely at the moment you can also rake in clovers as well and they will squeeze out the grasses a bit because they're insect pollinated they're not such a problem for people with allergies and now let's get into the nitty-gritty dr tim reggett a retired virologist And the former vice president of the Royal College of Pathologists is here to share his advice on how to garden with a low allergy mindset. In 2016, he published Low Allergy Gardening with Dr. Joe Sheldon, and he'll start us off with a rather, well, unusual story
4: as to how the book came to be. Joe Sheldon and myself decided to go to the Chelsea Flower Show and set up some educational displays to tell the public about various aspects of pathology, bringing in a plant theme. 2012, Her Majesty came to the stand because, of course, Her Majesty the Queen was the patron of the Royal College of Pathologists. And when she was at the Chelsea Flower Show, she often used to come by and see what we were doing. And in 2012, we had a display on allergy and she seemed unusually interested in it and was asking me all sorts of questions about well what's this and what what are you explaining there and how does this affect that I mean really quite engaged when we finished having a conversation you get the normal handshake with a slight push not a not a nasty push but you knew you were on your way thank you so much Dr Reggett and she turned to go and then she sort of half turned back and she said is there a book I can read on the subject Dr Reggett so I said I'm afraid not there are books written about allergy there are Books written about plants but putting the simple story of allergy together with plants whether it's respiratory based allergy or whether it's food allergy it hasn't been done and then she looked at me and she said well you must write it dr reagan and she got a finger out and she wagged a finger at me and joe sheldon will tell you that she stood there and waved a finger at me and said you must write the book dr reagan so we did so I just want to respond to the information that Shuba Allard and Patrick Young have given on allergies and how that affects the human body and relate it to tips if you like for gardening in relation to plants. There are, as you've already been told, plants which are associated with respiratory allergies in particular because they have windborne pollen most of the trees, not all of them, but most of the trees have wind pollen, and in fact have a heck of a lot of wind pollen. So, things like birch and hazel, lilac, as well as things like theanotha, evening primrose, Japanese honeysuckle, lavender, lilac, marguerites, marigolds. For example, those are plants that have lots of pollen and which could stimulate hay fever in those people who are susceptible. Equally, there are those plants which are suitable because they either have no pollen or they have a low amount of pollen that isn't windborne and is spread by insects, going like bees and so on, going from one plant to the other. So they're not in the wind, therefore we don't breed them in. Things like Dicentra, Broom, Busy Lizzy, choisia, Columbine, Coral Bells, crane's cranespill, geraniums, day Daylily, Dead Nettle, Begonias, Geum. Hebe, lobelia, love in a mist, masterwort, meadow rue, penstemon, periwinkle, plantain lily, hostas in other words, poppies, prunus, sage, Scabious, sea holly, and strawberry tree, one of the few trees that doesn't have lots of pollen, and willow leaf pear, another one. So there are plants that you can choose that aren't going to cause you problems. And for example, if you're thinking about grasses, because grasses are one of the biggest problems in terms of allergies, then if you want to choose a grass for a garden, then you could maybe say, well, I won't have a grass because it's got lots of nasty pollen in its flowers. Let's have a bamboo, something like that, which will look similar if it's big and ornamental, but won't have the pollen problem. And there are other things you can do, simple things like If you wash your washing and put it outside on the line to dry, then what's going to happen is the pollen's going to stick to it. You come into the house and there's a lovely way of introducing pollen into the house. So don't do it. Various things like that, common sense things, keep windows closed. For example, there are ways you can prevent or reduce the impact of pollen on your life. Well, you know, contact dermatitis is a very interesting thing because obviously you don't realize you've got it until it happens i for example am allergic to primulas. i can't touch primulas, particularly not if the sun is shining and a lot of these contact dermatitis are photosensitive so a lot of plants have hairs on them and the hairs can stick into your skin i mean nettles do the same thing with the way the hairs stick in but a lot of things like primula have hairs on them. So they stick into your skin. If it sun shines, that activates the chemicals. And I mean, for example, I once was in contact with primulas and developed huge blisters on my hand. And my third grandson, I have four grandsons and three of them have no problem as far as I'm aware with allergies. But the third grandson who's like me was with all the other grandsons messing around in my lot one day, and being a thundering nuisance. And I asked him to sort out the parsnips and they were rolling around and being really stupid and the three of them were fine. But the third grandson had blisters all over his hands where he'd been rolling around the parsnips and he's the one who looks most likely. So I suspect there's some sort of link there, some genetic link to allergies. And you can equally get rashes on your hand from various plants. And until it happens to you you don't know you've got the allergy. And it's quite simple, (laughs) don't touch the plant again, particularly if the sun's shining. Well, it's kind of very difficult, isn't it? Because everybody likes trees and everybody likes to have a landscape. Cutting out allergies totally is very difficult, particularly if you live in a row of streets. It's not practical, really. I think when it comes to considering allergy, particularly hay fever, then I think you've got to be sensible. If there are people in your family or visitors or neighbours who you know have an allergy to a particular plant, and of course one of the ways you can detect that is to look at the pollen calendar. The meteorological office publish pollen data in the hay fever season and you can see which months of the year various plants produce their pollen. And so if you have hay fever at a certain month, you can say, oh, it's likely to be that plant because that's when the peak of the pollen comes every year. So it's about identifying what may be the problem or having allergy testing and knowing what the problem is and avoiding those plants if you can.
1: Thanks there to Tim. Check out our show notes for a link to the book he wrote with Joe Sheldon titled, Low Allergy Gardening. Just to build on what Tim said about low allergy plants, here are some of my suggestions. In shady areas, go for foliage plants, ferns, low-growing insect pollinated shrubs like Mahonia aquifolium, for example. In the wider garden, aim to plant lots of insect pollinated trees such as apples, pears and cherries. If you're going to buy plants like yew and holly, try and get hold of female cultivars. It's the male ones that shed the pollen and in these species the males and the females are found on different plants. Well that's about it for today. In your garden it's the great time for sowing and planting. It's time to look at your containers, replace those winter plants with spring ones. Lawn care, tend your lawn, cutting the edges really smartens up a garden and makes you feel you've achieved something. I'm sorry to say that weeds are bursting out all over, but a gentle hoeing will catch them young and reduce the problems for later. The greenhouse can be planted up. Be wary of very cold nights, but from the middle of April, it's unusual for frost to penetrate the greenhouse. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help us share the love of gardening. And maybe it'll mean we'll see more low-allergy varieties planted up and down the country. That's all for now. So from me, Guy Barter, goodbye and thanks for listening.
0: I'm walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better.